I want to tell you a story uh, that happened from everybody's favorite time in life, junior high. Uh, the church that I grew up in, we had a youth choir, and we would tour every summer around the great state of Washington and up into British Columbia. And um, I grew up in Spokane, and for some reason, I decided early on that I was a fan of the University of Washington. I was a Husky fan, even though everyone around me were, I know, apologies to my father-in-law <laughs> sitting right here. I, had no, I, don't, I have no idea what caused that, but that was just, that was the reality. And... <laughs> <laughs> it served me well now that I live here. Uh, and we were going to end up in Seattle for part of the, part of the tour, and I knew that I was going to blow my entire uh, free f uh, spending money budget on a UW hat, uh, which tells you how much spending money I had. Not a lot. But I was going to get a good hat, and I knew I was going to get one that was unique, that, not other, that I had not seen before. And sure enough, we ended up down at... Uh, Westlake Center or Pikes Place Market, somewhere down there, and there was a hat store, and it was just a wall of husky hats. And I spent 20 bucks, which in the 90s, I don't know, that's like worth $700 now, I think, but uh, on, a, on a UW hat that I'd never seen before. It was fitted, it was wool, it was nice, I loved it. Uh, I brought it back and then lost it. And uh, I didn't know, you know, over the summer somewhere, didn't know where it was. And uh, two weeks into uh, the beginning of my eighth grade year, I saw this other guy at my school wearing my hat. And I knew it was my hat because I had bought it and I'd picked it out and I'd never seen anyone, any other one like it. And I also knew it was my hat because I went up to him and I was like, where'd you get that hat? He was like, nowhere, and he ran away. So like, okay, I think that might be my hat. Um, and uh, I was like, how did he, I, I put the pieces together, I had left it at a soccer practice, and uh, one of my soccer teammates had snagged it and then given it to his friend. It was my hat. Um, now, I, uh, in, in our youth group, in my, in my, my small group, uh, we were studying the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we came across the passage where Jesus says this. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your hat, your coat as well. <laughs> if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And I heard that. And I thought, yes, Lord? <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it was one of the first times in my life where I had a sense that God's word was not simply this historical document that was hard to understand, but that it was God's word to me, that it spoke specifically to this thing that I was struggling with in life, what to do with the fact that it was clear that this guy had my hat. I knew it was my hat. Um, and there's a lot that we could say about pursuing justice and, and fairness and you know, speaking up uh, when things are not as they're supposed to be. But I knew in this moment, in this situation, given what we were studying and meditating on, given that I had this passage of Jesus' words in my heart, I knew that this was God's word to me. And I remember telling my, my group, uh, my small group at church about this and having this, this real sense of peace and satisfaction that I had heard God's word for me. Uh, and it meant giving up my rights to my hat. It meant letting it go.
Uh, and that, that was, uh, I, I had peace about that. Even though I was sad to lose my hat, I had a sense that, nope, God is, God is in this with me. Do you have moments like that? Do you have times when you can look back and, and you've experienced God's word becoming God's word for you in very particular and specific ways? Uh, we've been working through the New City Catechism, and our question today is this. I think it's up there, James, maybe? Yeah. How is the word of God to be read and heard? With diligence, preparation, and prayer, so that we may accept it with faith, store it in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. You can leave that up behind me, and you can peruse the the richness of that question there. The, the question today has to do with how do we read the Bible, but there maybe is a, an earlier question that we should ask, which is, do we read the Bible? <laughs> um, we live in a crazy age, right? We're in our pockets. I have access to more translations and versions of the Bible than I will ever know what to do with, uh, right? The access to the scriptures for us who speak English and who live in this, uh, in this culture, who have a phone, it's like, it's crazy, um, and yet, uh, and this may come as no surprise to you, uh, engagement with scripture uh, is on the decline. Uh, the Barna Group, which does, uh, they do research uh, here in the, in the United States, uh, lots of surveys and compile results of their surveys. They do a, a state of the Bible national survey every year. Uh, and this last year, uh, they found that it, as they define actively engaging in scriptures, which they define it as about every other day you're reading your Bible, uh, 20% of all Americans are actively engaged in reading their Bible. Maybe that doesn't shock you, uh, but that's, that's the reality, even though we have incredible access to it. Um, they asked another question, though, which, uh, which struck me, and that was, do you desire to be more engaged with the Bible? Uh, and over, overwhelmingly, people said, yes, I desire that. Well, more than half of all Americans said yes. I desire that. Whether they, even, whether they were Christians or atheists, across the board, people said, yes, I desire to be more engaged with the Bible. And that desire is what I hope to tap into this morning. Um, scripture speaks about itself using a lot of different metaphors, but one of the ones that strikes me uh, as most beautiful and powerful is the metaphor of food, that the Bible is food. It is nourishment. It is sweet to the taste. It, 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 it nourishes us. It fills us up and gives us the energy that we need to live the kind of life that God requires of us, that God asks for us, the kind of flourishing life, this shalom, peace-filled, flourishing life. Scripture fills us up and enables us to live that, excuse me, live that life. So I hope this morning that, that we can see the Bible, that we can see God's word as a gift to us, that we can receive it as a gift. And that that desire that, according to Barna, over half of America has uh, to engage with it more, that that desire would be kindled in us this morning. The passage that we're going to look at comes from 2 Timothy. This is a letter that Paul is writing to this young pastor as he leads this church in Ephesus. And he's reminding Timothy of his own story uh, and reminding Timothy of kind of uh, to stay true to the to major on the majors, to stay true 
to the faith that he has been brought up in to do the work of being a pastor. And there's this part that we're going to read this morning where he's talking about how Timothy is to engage with the scriptures, how he is to engage with the Bible. This is coming from chapter 3. So if you want to pull out your phone in one of the many, many translations that you have, or grab a Bible, it's also going to be on the screen, right? No opportunity, no, uh, plenty of opportunities to engage with scripture, however you want to pull it out. 2 Timothy 3, and I'm going to start in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, we do trust that this morning you will speak to us through your scriptures, about your scriptures. Holy Spirit, would you kindle in us a desire to read the word, not so that we can brag about that we've done it, not for any other reason, but to simply encounter you there, trusting that you are a God who still speaks to your people. Help us, Lord. Amen. I just want to highlight a few things about this passage. Um, this is one of those, those classic passages about the Bible. Um, and the scriptures here that Paul is referring to are, of course, the Old Testament, right? Uh, but we take it uh, to, to be applicable to all of the scriptures that we have received, uh, trusting that the Spirit has been at work uh, through the church, compiling what we now have as the Bible, that these are the scriptures that we're referring to here. And they are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ. The Bible doesn't tell us everything about everything, right? There's lots of reality, lots of truth that is, that is not there. This is why we need scientists and artists and journalists and astronauts and engineers. We need all of these vocations to help further flesh out our knowledge of the world, our knowledge of who we are. But it does tell us everything that we need to know for salvation in Christ and how to live the kind of life that God requires of us, this flourishing life. The scriptures point to Jesus, right? From Genesis to Revelation, the scriptures point to Jesus as the full revelation of God, as the way to salvation. The Bible itself cannot save us. We, we don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. But we believe that the Bible is this unique revelation that God has given to us. It's a gift to his church, a gift to the world that points us and directs us and leads us to Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. I love this imagery. We've sung this kind of language already this morning. It's not just a historical book, though it is a historical book, right? There's all these authors who who lived in certain times and certain places. They wrote and they brought their own unique perspectives to what they were writing. And it's important that we are diligent in our study of Scripture so we understand uh, the different perspectives that the gospel writers had as they were telling the story of Jesus, uh, so that we understand the context of the different churches that Paul's writing to. It helps us understand. That's important. 
But we also understand that behind these books, the author is God, breathing life into these words, breathing life into these books, into these letters, into the poetry of the Psalms. So that it's not just a historical book that we look at in the same way that we look at other history books, but we trust that God is speaking through it to each one of us today. It's God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. Uh, This addresses both the content of our faith, what's true and what's false, and also how do we live it. How do we live it out, right? Correcting or uh, teaching and rebuking uh, has to do with the content of our faith. Scripture helps us know what is true. Uh, As Drew mentioned earlier, this is a, we we live in a noisy world, right? Uh, and, And part of that noise is constantly being bombarded with the different stories of what is true, uh, different narratives about this is what it means to be fully human. Uh, This is what it means to be fully American. Um, And and for us, as we study the word of God, uh, it shapes uh, the story of what is true. And it reminds us of what is true and what is not. So that when we hear all the different narratives that constantly bombard us, through our own brokenness, through the news, through whatever it is, our culture, um, we, we are able to discern what is true because the scripture helps guide us. It, it becomes a filter through which we uh, discern, okay, I, I, I see, this, I see this, uh, this picture being developed of what it means to be fully human, that we are completely autonomous beings, that we are the masters of our fate and the commanders of our destiny and... And yet I read in scripture that that's, that's not how God has made us. That God has designed us that, that in relationship with him and actually in submission to him, that's when we're truly free. And so scripture becomes a guide for us, reminding us of what is true and what is, what is false. But it also there, it gives us practical wisdom for how to live this out. So it's concerned both with the content of our faith and the practical realities of living it out. One way to to think of it is that scripture helps us be integrated whole people so that there's not a big divide between what we believe and how we live. Scripture helps us to bring those two together. And the purpose of all of this at the end of this passage is so that we would be complete, whole people, thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has for us. So there's a... There's a a progression here of God's word being breathed into us, eating it like food. So it gets inside us. And then as it's inside us, it begins to shape us, and it gives us nourishment and strength to then live it out in the world. Jesus' own relationship to the scripture uh, can be helpful for us here. Early on in his ministry, he heads off into the desert, for a time of prayer and fasting, 40 days in the desert. That's actually what we model the season of Lent after, is these 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness, praying and fasting. And at the end of that time, Satan comes and tempts him, tempts him three different times. And in each situation, the way that Jesus responds is with Scripture. Jesus had Scripture inside him. 
It was internalized. So that as he faced temptation, in each situation, he was able to say, no, actually, Satan, that's a lie. Here's what's true. So the first one, uh, Satan tempts him to turn rocks, here we are, uh, into bread. I planned this really well. And, uh, and here's Jesus, and it's clear. Matthew makes it clear in the section that he is hungry. He, he is human, and he's fasted for 40 days, and he is hungry. But he responds, quoting a passage from Deuteronomy, saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but instead by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And because he had this passage and the story of the Exodus in him, he's able to face this temptation and respond with God's word and have the strength to say, no, that's, that's a lie. This is what's true. God is the one who sustains me. So how do we get the Bible in us like that? Right? Um, there are lots of different ways to engage with the Bible, and I would say that none of them are wrong as long as we're in it. Um, but I want to I bring Laurel up because Laurel has had some uh, unique experience specifically around memorizing Scripture. And if you've, uh, if you've been here for a while, uh, we did a sermon series on Philippians a while ago, and uh, the last sermon in that series uh, was not from any of us who are pastors on staff, but it was Laurel uh, reciting Philippians from memory, um, which was a pretty incredible feat to behold, but powerful to see the way that it was clear that that scripture had gotten in you. And so I just wanted to ask you some questions about how you started memorizing scripture, like what, what sparked that, and um, yeah, give us some, some examples of that. So I started memorizing scripture. I grew up in Lutheran church, and when I was in eighth grade, we went through the confirmation process, and uh, we had several options for what we could do for a project for confirmation. And Donna, my twin, and I decided that we were going to memorize 100 verses of Scripture with their, their references, and that counted as the project. So that was the first, first time that I started memorizing. And then later on, I met some people who were involved in Bible quiz. So this is not when I was a child um, in the Assemblies of God denomination. They have a program called Bible Quiz for Kids, where kids actually memorize chapters and books of the Bible. So with a friend of mine, I, started, I memorized, uh, the first book was First um, John that I memorized, and we kind of did it together, not, not physically together, but we were just memorizing it at the same time and kind of holding each other accountable. And I just realized that kind of like what Mark was just saying this morning, it is a really wonderful thing to have God's word in you so that you can bring it up anytime that you want to. So for me now, um, some of the ways that, that, that I use it um, or that it comes to mind is that I, sometimes it, it is for reproof that um, last week I was with my mom. I, I was just grumpy. I had a bad attitude and I was kind of crabby about things. And, um, and I remembered there's a passage in Philippians two that says, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And that scripture just reminded me of, you know, even this attitude, there's, it, it doesn't feel exactly like sin when you're, you know, just being grumpy, but it, it is something that that's not what God wants for us. So there are, are 
um, lots of times where the scripture, because it, because it is inside of me, um, it can come to mind and just be helpful in my life. So there, I was, I remember when I was memorizing the book of James, um, there's a passage about, uh, judging and that, you know, we're not the ones to judge. God is the one who judges. And I was, I was memorizing the scripture right at the same time that somebody, uh, some other driver was doing something I didn't like. And I was totally critiquing this driver in my mind and, and God just sort of, you know, made it clear. It's like, oh yeah, it applies to this too, to not judge, um, not judge those other people. And one, one last place where it's, um, well, actually a couple other things just where, where it comes out. Like if I'm anxious about things that regularly now, pretty quickly when I have, um, when I'm stressing about a relationship or, or something that that passage from Philippians, Philippians have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Even just memorizing the short bits of scripture like that can be amazingly helpful when you're in those situations. And the the last way that it really it well maybe that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Okay, there, there's um, two other ways that the that I um, that I. The scripture has been really helpful when I, I like to memorize when I go on, on runs that I can, I take a picture of the scripture cause I like to memorize out of the same version. Cause otherwise you get confused by the different wordings. So pick a, pick a particular translation of the Bible that you like. And then I just take a picture of the passage and as I'm running, then it's an easy way I because memorization involves a lot of rep, repetition. So as I'm running, I can repeat the words and then stop every once in a while to look at the next bit to get the next part of the verse or the next couple verses and putting them all together. And then, um, it's been really helpful to me for the, for the last while, when I go to sleep at night, it's a great way to clear my mind of all the stuff of the day and just go to sleep with God by reciting Psalms or, or other things that I've memorized. And as soon as the words sort of start, they're not the right order anymore, then I know I'm almost asleep. (laughs) (laughs) So so I think that's, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's, can I ask one more question? (laughs) What's challenging? What's hard? Mm. about the the process of yeah. getting God's word. Right. Yeah, so uh that's a great question. That I it does take a lot of memorization. So it takes time to do it, which is why it's nice either to do it I do it on on runs. I sometimes I've done it as part of devotions, but then I don't do as much studying of scripture because it really does take a considerable amount of time. And the other thing for me is that if I don't I, recite these things on a fairly regular basis, like the books of the Bible, if I recite them once a month, then I, once I've got them, then I kind of can keep them that way. But if you don't recite it on a regular basis, then I lose it. And so first John, I don't remember anymore. That is, uh, cause that was a while ago and I didn't keep that one up, but the, the passages that I want to keep, then I, I am intentional kind of about on a regular basis going through and reciting those passages. Thank you. Thank you, Laurel. Her memorization has been inspiring to me, and I think whether or not you uh, you head off this week to go memorize all of First John, I think um, having having examples of of ways in which we can be getting the Scripture in us, ways that it can, we can be dwelling on it, ways that we can be uh, partaking of it like food, nourishing us, tasting the sweetness of it, 
Ezekiel, the prophet, uh, receives a scroll. It's this, this image that he has. He receives a scroll and he, he eats it. He's asked by God to eat it before he's going to speak to God's people. And he eats it and it tastes as sweet as honey, he says. That's, that's the image that I want to have. That's the metaphor I want to dwell on as I think about coming to God's word, being fed, being nourished. I think all of us are looking for, uh, whether we're conscious of it or not, we're looking for the resources to live, to live life, right? And we look for those resources in all kinds of different places. Um, And often where we look, uh, it lets us down. But the Bible is that resource, that gift that we have. Um, and too often in my own life, I've, I have viewed the Bible with a sense of obligation and duty. And I'm really trying to, to receive it as a gift. And I, I hope that you can as well. This, this morning uh, and this week, the rest of this Lenten season, uh, and for the rest of our lives, receive this gift that God has given us. Uh, that he still speaks to us today through his word. So, uh, so two weeks after I told the guy in junior high that um, I didn't want my hat back, he could have it, uh, he passed me in the hall and he was like, hey, if you want your hat back, you come by my locker after school. So I did. And he gave it back to me. <laughs> and, and I kept it for a long time and I, I, I was looking for it yesterday and I don't know where it is anymore. Um, it doesn't fit me, my head's huge. And, but it, it served me for a long time as a reminder not that I got the hat back, right? Not that I, like, I won. Um, but it reminded me of this season, this time, this moment, where God's word became for me food, living, breathing. It, 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 it nourished me, and it, and it helped me live, um, face a challenging circumstance uh, in a way that ultimately uh, led to flourishing, led to my own sense of, of peace, my willingness to let go of this thing that was just a thing. It's just a thing. It's just a hat. So that's my prayer for us this morning, that as we approach God's word in whatever form that takes, uh, that it would become for us food, that it would become for us living and breathing God's word for us. We often speak of, uh, of communion as nourishment, as food that sustains us for the week ahead, not because there's anything you know, magical or mystical necessarily in the elements, in the bread and in the cup, but because we believe that they they lead us to an encounter with God, with Christ. That's the same thing with the Bible. It leads us to an encounter with the living God. Friends, it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed when he took bread and he broke it. He gave thanks and he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's a new way of relating. It represents the forgiveness of your sins. It's poured out in my blood. As often as we take this bread and this cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for God's people. This is gluten-free bread. All who know their need, all who know their hunger for Christ are welcome to this feast. So come and receive.